Support for this podcast comes from Healthnetics. Do you have nagging aches and pains from your younger, more athletic days? Healthnetics CBD is a premium brand CBD that may help take care of aches and pains, as well as relieve anxiety and sleeplessness. Healthnetics products are all natural, THC-free, made in the USA, and undergo third-party lab testing to ensure quality and purity. All CBD is not the same. Order today with a money-back guarantee at healthnetics.com and use promo code SPORTS for 20% off. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Monday, May 13th, 2019, and this is the MMA Hour. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. What a show we have planned for you guys today. Let's see. The man who just beat the king of Rio in Rio will be here, Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, maybe the best American wrestler ever, if not that, pretty close. Jordan Burroughs, fresh off of his victory over Ben Askren, will be here. And the man who's going to lead Anthony Pettis into battle against Nate Diaz is going to be here, Coach Duke Rufus. Plus, as always, you'll be my guest. Not one, but two different ways, using the hashtag with your tweets, uh, the MMA Hour. Please keep sending them. We always appreciate that when you do. As well, you can uh, call us. We'll take your calls as well today at 844-866-2468. Yes? Yes. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Um, I know that I did. Um, all right, so very excited about the rest of the uh, show. Mr. Volkanovsky is going to be here, Mr. Burroughs, Mr. Rufus. Yeah, and then we'll do some of your calls, some of your tweets, the whole bit. Gonna be a good show. Mm. All right. With that said, it is time now for a round of tweets. All right. What's Danny doing there? <laughs> Hi, Danny. Oh, we'll see Danny later. Don't worry about that. Uh, it is time for the tweets. So let's see. When the clock and then the Twitter thing start, there's the clock. Right? God damn it, I always get that wrong. Right here. And there's the first tweet. All right, here we go. Whatever you want to run it. Bump, bada, bump, bump. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I pick up a check from the artificial sweetener companies every Monday. I don't, but don't think I wouldn't accept one. I would accept one in a heartbeat because I am not a sweetener anti-vaxxer. I actually look at what the science has to say. You're fine. Everybody, you're fine. All right, next. Okay, uh, how much potential star power does Jessica Andrade have compared to Rose Namajunas? Congrats on becoming a father. Well, thank you very much for the latter part. Here's what I would say about the first one. Um, in the United States, close to none. Probably, I think just being realistic, especially with the language barrier. In Brazil, hard to say. I don't know, I'm not there. But I think what I would also say is, remember what we've been looking for out of this new generation of Brazilian fighters. The old ones are going away, like the, the Vanderleys and the Vitors and the Nogueras and the Spiders and the you name it, all the, the Machitas. Some of them are still hanging around a little bit, but that era has definitely over. And Brazil has been looking to replace them with a new generation of stars, some of which are happening, some of which are coming along. But uh, it's good to have on the women's side them carry that torch a little bit in that capacity as well. So... How much of a star? I don't know. How important is it that a young Brazilian fighter became a UFC champion? I would actually argue pretty goddamn important. Pretty important. It's a big deal. Next. 
Um, let's see. So TSP MMA 115, I think that is Tatiana Suarez, if I'm not mistaken. So the question is, um, Suarez or Karate Hottie next for the belt? I mean, it's, well, okay. So here's the deal. It depends on the calendar because Tatiana Suarez has to face off against Nina Ansaroff in next month, right? So let's see how that goes. And if that tells us something, then we go. I say if she beats Nina Ansaroff, then that's your contender because the things that, um, the thing that happened to Rose, I don't think would happen to Tatiana. As strong as, as strong as Andrade is, I don't. I just, I just don't see it as the same. All right, next. Can I interest you to have any of these Deadwood for Real Madrid? <laughs> Ashley Young, nope. Alexis Sanchez, he fell off, and uh, Madich, no, uh, no, you may not. Although I cannot tell you how much I'm looking for. I've told this before. God, they lost yesterday to what? Real Sociedad? Oh, God. This season is just, I can't wait for the season to be over. What a miserable, miserable Real Madrid season. So uh, I don't want any of your dead weight. We've got plenty, plenty of our own. Next. And then you got Danny in the back talking trash in my ears. I hope he dies. All right. In retrospect, how significant was Douglas Lima's win over MVP? Well, what do you mean by significant? Do you mean significant in terms of getting him the visibility and credibility that has long eluded him? Probably pretty helpful. Um, significant in terms of the toughest guy he's ever fought? Not that significant. Although I don't want to discredit MVP. He's obviously a worthy adversary. He had earned his way to that spot um, with his win, however controversial, over Semtex. And by the way, I thought he was giving... Lima, not the business, but he was much more open and aggressive in this fight. So I'm going to say significant means giving Lima the respect he deserves and the visibility he deserves. And in that sense, I definitely think it made it made a, a, a big a big difference. I'll, last point on this. Anybody who wins the Strike Force Grand Prix, or what I'm saying, the, um, the Bellator Grand Prix is going to benefit pretty mightily from it. But no one deserves that benefit more than Douglas Lima. And Douglas Lima, if you've ever interviewed him, He's such a nice guy, but he doesn't, he doesn't know how to tell his story, I think, all that well. And this tournament might tell the story of Douglas Lima in a way that he never could. And so he can uniquely benefit in ways that other fighters might not be able to. Next. Uh, what do you think of Nate Diaz back to the octagon? Cannot wait. I know Danny and I are probably going to talk about this in the sound off. I love this fight with Anthony Pettis. Uh, I love it so much. And by the way, I love the fight with Tony Ferguson so much more with Cowboy than Cowboy versus Connor, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. Next. Um, featherweight with the highest ceiling, Volkanovsky or Magomed Sharapov? You know, about a year ago, I would have said Magomed Sharapov, but now I might say Volkanovsky. I thought the performance he turned in against Aldo was nothing short of magnificent. I really thought it was special. Very, very special. One more, if we have time. I think we do, yeah. Did you end up getting the snoo for your daughter? If so, what are your first thoughts on it? Do you guys ever know what the snoo is? The snoo is this crib that, uh, first of all, it retails at $1,200. So while I did get it, I didn't buy it. You can rent them. So I, I, just, I was like, I'm not dropping $1,200 on this thing. So we decided to rent it. And in renting it, what we have found is that so far it doesn't work. Now I'm not ready to give up on it yet because it turns out it might be better for, for infants that are and newborns that are like a month or two. 
uh, versus my daughter is two weeks and two days, right? Uh, as of today. Um, God, it's still weird to say. Anyway, um, so we put her in the snoo and she howled. Like, and the snoo will even tell you if it doesn't work in the first 60 seconds, it's a wrap and uh, it doesn't work. There have been other like automatic rocking things that we've got her that she likes, but the snoo, nah, bro, that has been an epic disaster. So I'm going to give it one or two more months. If it doesn't work, I'm just going to return it. And I'd be out like, what, two, three hundred at that point? But that's better than 12. Although I guess if I would have gotten a full refund, but I'm not sure how long it lasts. I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is, so far, the snoo has been the nubs. Not that great. Mm. All right, I believe they're trying to locate Mr. Volkanovsky. Um, we'll see how that goes. It's always perilous, boys and girls. You never really know who's going to be the show you can plan you can book but in the end it's like Doug Stanhope said you know it's like I'm when I do a set it's like going to battle you're not all going to be here at the end right not everyone makes it to the end of the show you know so um so that's what we have in store all right I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the uh, fights over the weekend man it was hard to watch I used to think I love the double dose on the weekends, but I don't. I've decided I think I like the Friday show and then the Saturday show. I don't like the double Saturday show because not only did we have Bellator and UFC, I had them on my two monitors, but then Jarrett Hurd, the boxer out of D.C. who lost, amazing, uh, he was competing at the Eagle Bank Arena, and that was on PBC. So I had three of them up, and it was it was, you know, it's just you can't, it's hard to follow everything when that happens. It's not, it's not a really doable thing. So, like, it sounds so fun in theory to have that, you know? It sounds so fun to be like, oh, man, we're going to have all these fights going on at the same time, and I get to overdose, and it'll be great. And then you get there, and you're like, I can barely pay attention to either of those. Although I guess it kind of worked out with the short knockouts, with the way Chandler got stopped, and then the way... uh Lima stopped MVP. I don't think that the interruption was too bad if memory serves, but you can see how it could have gone, right? You could see how it would have been. It would have been a nightmare. It would have been a nightmare. Imagine both had like relatively moderate paced, even slow paced action or both being high paced and just being hard to follow. It, it, it wouldn't work. So um, I, I'm not blaming the promoters. It's how the cookie crumbles. It, it just... I think I've finally come down on the idea that like, yeah, it's probably a bit too much. Give me, give me, give me PFL on Thursday. Give me either UFC or Bellator on Friday and then UFC or Bellator on Saturday. And then it's a wrap. Call it a wrap on that one. Although I have to say, most exciting thing that happened in sports over the weekend. I know it's the MMA show, but did y'all see Kawhi Leonard hit that game winner in Toronto? Oh man. Boy, he had the, uh, he had the old Canadians saying A after that one. What a win, what a phenomenal performance. I was like, that was the most incredible thing I'd, I'd seen. Game seven, right? Was it four seconds left? Drives inside the three-point space down to the, not the baseline, but to the, almost to the uh, out-of-bounds marker, past the backboard, fires it, tips, tips in, time expires. Game, I mean, it's just like thrilling, absolutely thrilling. And then... It wasn't until Sunday I realized that there was all this, like, consternation about the slam. And I didn't get it. And I still don't get it. Because when you really begin to consider the, the value of the slam um, and what purpose it serves and why we allow it, 
the intellectual case for getting rid of it kind of collapses, to be candid with you. All right. Uh, Jesus. Thousand things. All right, Mr. Uh, what's the word on Volkanovsky? Okay. All right, we can do this. How about this? If if Boros can't come on earlier, because we've been moving him around, which I feel bad about, we can just do early calls, and then we can do another set of calls at the end. But I don't want to just come up here and kill airtime and waste the audience's time. How about that? Can we do that? Let's do some calls. So you want me to set it up? Just set it up and throw it to the, the, the thingamajig, and then we do it? Yes? All right, let's do it now. Uh, let's do a first edition of the sound off. All right, so let's go to my main man, Danny Segura here. He is the, uh, let's see, hold on, let me get, see if I got, I, you, you were lime to Chicharron last week, right? Yes. Um, so let me see if I can think of another one. You are the tres to my leches. How about that? I wonder how you, uh, how long you're going to keep this up. <laughs> as long as I can. All right, so here's the deal. If Volkanovsky gets back to us, we just quit this and we go to him, yes? Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, but in the meantime, let's do some calls. Okay. I want to hear I want to hear from the donks. And by the way, could it be more appropriate that I am the world's leading mouth breather while I hear from all of our mouth-breathing audience members? Yes? Yep. All right. I love right. I love your enthusiasm. It is palatable. Let's do it. Sorry. Very <laughs> high energy. I uh, you know, it was a rough weekend. Uh, Game of Thrones kept me up a little bit. I hear. You don't you don't watch it, right? Again, not that I have anything against it, but no. It was a, it was a pretty uh, intense episode. I would just say that. Hey, I heard the mountain died. <laughs> oh, is that a spoiler? <laughs> of course. Well, the mayor won the oh, mountain man. died. All right, prepare prepare for some Twitter uh, some Twitter hate what? going your way. That would be new, I'm sure. Um, yeah, rest in peace, man. All right, so what's rest up? Let's do some calls. All right, let's get it. Um, Let's talk about the the, the strawweight fight that happened, title fight, and and sort of uh, the things that came out of it. Okay. Morning, Luke and Danny. Connor from Jersey by way of Seattle here. Wanted to say I deeply appreciate the show, your content, and the tenor of discourse. Keep at it. I'll be watching. My question is, with the Andrade title win, does Ioana now have an open door for another title shot? If not, what path leads her back to 115 gold? Thanks. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't, uh, I don't see that as likely right now. There are other women who are way, way more deserving than you want to get check. Yeah. She's got some work to do. I'm not saying she's super far away. Mm -hmm. Is that what we really want to go to? Or do you want to see fresh matchups like Suarez or, you know, God knows whoever else. The boogie woman, man. You do want to see her? Uh, yeah, but not now. But I, I, I do think um, I think Yana is in an interesting spot because, like, look, I think she's very, very good. I just think Rose, you know, just has her number, and that's just the way MMA works sometimes. But I think if you take Rose out of the equation, Yana would probably hold on to the title. I think. Um, so I would like to see her in that in that mix uh, eventually. I think maybe a win away would would actually be. Uh, quite adequate if you want to throw in their karate hottie i'm completely fine with that the winner between uh, tatiana suarez and nina Ansaroff, uh, i'm down for that too but um 
I guess just to keep the train rolling, since Watterson doesn't have any fights lined up, I think she should be next. Um, really? But yeah, well, why not? Let, let's, yeah, just, yeah. let's just keep the division going. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. I think if she comes yeah. back quickly, I think that's fine. That's right. Yep. Yeah, because because Watterson right now is without a fight. If, I think the the rightful person that should be fighting would be Tatiana Suarez if she gets if she wins, of course. Um, but again, she has to win, and then she has time to rest, then time for a training camp where Watterson can can start training camp right now. You know, so. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I do like Joanna in that mix, and I think with Rose leaving the, perhaps leaving MMA and 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 certainly now not being champion, I think that just opened a huge opportunity for her. So okay, yeah, fair enough. All right, so Burroughs actually just texted me. He wants um, to come on now. Yeah, he wants to come on now. All right, so so you can piece this together when we do the calls later, yes, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, we're gonna have another gap actually, <laughs> because I doubt. Okay, so bring Burroughs on and see if Duke can come on a little early too. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll hit him up. All right. All right. Let me know when he's on. Please, Sounds thank good. you. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm loving 115. I'm loving 115. Um, it's the best women's division by far. And, and by the way, like for Jessica Andrade to be doing what she's doing, like the, to be a physical powerhouse like that, you don't see people that, male or female, that small who have that kind of physical ability, right? Uh, and she does. And it's spectacular to watch. It's amazing to see what she can do. Um, so, yeah, let's keep it fresh. Let's keep some. Let's let's rotate in some fresh bodies there. And to the caller's point, if in fact Joanna wins one more match, I, I would put her like in the sort of like a semi steep A category where I know that he got the Cormier rematch that's going to happen in August. What I'm saying is, I had thought the whole time, just get one more win, man. You're kind of right back there. You know, beat a Dos Santos. I mean, I already I know he already beat him, but like I don't know something like that. And you're right back there. I think she's kind of in a similar space. Beat like one really good contender. Are people going to really say she shouldn't be up there, at least in the conversation? If not outright selected for that kind of a thing? I don't I don't actually believe that. I think she'd be right there. So I don't want to jump her to the front of the line, but I wouldn't put her all the way in the back of the queue either. Although the lingering weight cut issue is something that's going to be interesting. All right, so let's go to our guest now. We've been pushing everything around, which I feel kind of bad about. We got him on the hook. Let's hear from this. If he's not the best wrestler the U.S. has ever seen, boy, he's pretty close. He had a great win and beat the streets on Monday over Ben Askren. Jordan Burroughs joins us now on the phone. Hi, Jordan. How are you? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, and by the way, I'm sorry to keep moving you around like that. The show is crazy, so uh, thank you for accommodating me. You're a true pro. Yeah, no problem at all, man. And listen, I'm a wrestler. I'm on an MMA show, so I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, boy, uh, you beat Ben Askren 11-0, to 0, tech fall. Uh, <laughs> couldn't have gone much better, right? Yeah, it was a solid day. Great performance. Um, I was happy with it. I was happy with it. What can I say? Now, you, how do I ask this? I know you expect to win, and I know you expect to dominate. Did you expect it to go exactly like that? I did. Well, you know what? Like, I think that Ben Askren, when he competed as a wrestler, he was an amazing athlete. He still is an amazing athlete, but just has transitioned to a completely different sport. And I imagine that he doesn't train his wrestling as often. And so there are just particular positions in the sport that he hasn't felt in such a long period of time that his timing is a bit off. But my time is extremely sharp because this is what I do pretty much daily. Um, and this is the only discipline I train in. So I think that the advantage was weighed and tipped heavily in my favor. And he was just <laughs> out there hoping for something good to happen. 
Um, and so I got a lot of respect for Ben and what he was able to do. And the fact that he even accepted the challenge was pretty cool as well. But yeah, for sure. If anything less than a tech fall, I would have been disappointed in myself. All right. Fair enough. So I got a bunch of questions about this. Number one, it looked like you were taking it very seriously. Would you say you put the same intensity into this as you would any of your other matches? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I thought we did a really good job with the banter leading up into the event. I don't know if he really thought that he could win or he really thought he had a chance, but I was more than willing to go with the trash talk route with him in preparation because I knew there were no implications and no one would feel bad. It was just fun. Uh, but going into the match, as soon as the whistle blows, when I step on the match side, like I wanted to win and wrestling is different than like MMA or boxing or really any other combat sport. And the fact that you can't really draw a long an opponent, right? You watch Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather fight. Floyd can just throw a few punches, right? He can do a lot of defense. He can flip a few punches, let Conor get a few shots in. You can't really do that in wrestling without getting scored on or putting yourself at risk. So for me going into that match, I was like, listen, I love you, Ben. You've done a tremendous job in the sport of wrestling. You're doing a tremendous job in MMA, but I'm not letting you score on me. Fair enough. All right. Um, by the way, how you, let's talk about his heyday, that funk style. For folks who may not know, how unique is that? Oh, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. What he had, I believe, he had over 90 pins in college, which is insane to think about. Two of the wrestlers of the last decade just graduated this past year, Jason Nolf and uh, Bo Nickel, both of Penn State, and they had in the 50s. So he had almost twice as many pins as those guys, and those guys were both three-time NCAA champions. Um, he was just dangerous. He was a dangerous guy when he got his hands on you. He just had an uncanny feel how to get to positions, get you to your back, and hold you there. And that's why he has tremendous respect in the sport. Even 10 years outside of competing as a wrestler, people still – we're like, man, Ben's dangerous. He could do anything. It's still possible. Um, so that that speaks there to the mystique that he possessed when he once was once a competitor. Now, forgive my ignorance. He was on the 08 Olympic team. I believe your first one was 2012. So you were separated by an Olympic cycle. But was that the first time you guys had ever trained together? Or I'm sorry, had you guys ever trained together prior to this competition? Yeah, we had rolled around before, but this is the first time that we've ever been in a competitive sanctioned match. Um, and so the crazy thing about it is we wrestled at the same weight class, but I see I'm considerably smaller than Ben is. Uh, we had a catch weight 175 for this event. And the morning of, I woke up at 171. And he came into the weigh-ins with a sauna suit on. He had just got off of the, off of the treadmill or the bike. Um, and so it was just interesting to see that the size, significant size difference between the two of us, yet we competed at the same weight class. Uh, competitor. So, but it was good. It was good. I think Ben did a really good job. And uh, although it was the first time that we wrestled each other, I was familiar with him just from watching so much video of him um, from all the years that I had been a fan of his. All right. Now I, I, there was moments there where you were taking him down and he was smiling. And I think he was talking to you during the match. What did he say? Well, the first thing he said when we first came out and shook hands, he was like, wow, can you believe we sold out? the Hulu theater on a Monday night. Um, okay, and I was cool. like, wow, this is pretty dope, right? It was like kind of that moment where you stop and you reflect. And then two, <laughs> once I, I double legged him for the second time, nine to zero, he was like, I thought you said you were going to give me a chance. <laughs> and so I think that 
he was like, yo, listen, let's entertain the crowd. Don't just crush me. Like, let's put on a show for these people. Let's let them get their money's worth. And I'm like, ah, I'm not that type of guy. So no mercy from you. You are not out there to give a show. You are out there to dominate. The show isn't the point scoring for me. The 11-0 is the show, not the, you know, throw guy bones. So in the end, I think I saw today that Beat the Streets raised uh, a million and some change. You got to be really thrilled with this, like in terms of the business side, because you've done Beat the Streets many times, but not like a, in, in, in jujitsu, they would call this like a super fight. You've yeah. never done, to my knowledge, a super fight quite like this. What lesson do you derive about how wrestling can use this going forward? Surely, um, this was an awesome moment for our sport. I think we realized how to utilize really the UFC, but also guys that have a significant following in our sport. I think that's the thing for us. Like we've followed the former wrestlers, but we haven't really given them an invitation or extension of being able to come back and enjoy the sport that they once grew to love. Um, and so I think that just the way the show was given, whether it's the press conference or the live weigh-ins, um, just the banter back and forth on Twitter to get fans excited about it. I think just the significant marketing that we put digitally. Um, there were so many things that we tried to do to really pump this match the right way. I think it was, it was tremendously helpful just from having been an astronaut because he has a significant following that's not in the wrestling community. That was what the kind of, part. What kind of response did you get, either from the wrestling community or outside of it? Um, tremendous. I think that for people who didn't know who I was, they got the opportunity to see me compete, and they were like, wow, this guy is really pretty freaking good. And for the guy who, who already knew me, they were like, wow, like let's see what he can do against Ben Askren, who I'd say we have a big contrast of styles, but still was a lot of fun, and it worked out well. And I'm willing to do it <laughs> as often as possible. Because this was something that we really don't get the opportunity to do in our sport. Our biggest competitions are the World Championships and Olympic Games, which we only compete in once a year. And so for us to be able to do this in the midst of our training, was it was a, it was a dream, man. It was a dream. Why? Because it, I mean, what? It's because you broke the monotony, because you got, even, you know, competition experience, even if it was against somebody not who formerly was at the world level, but maybe not now. And I guess you got paid a little bit as well. So, like, give me, help me understand, like, what was so valuable about it? Yeah, I think a little bit of everything. Um, I got to introduce myself to non-traditional wrestling fans that were maybe knew about the sport, but never really followed. And they only knew Ben Askren because of his competition in the UFC, we got to sell out for the first time and beat the streets history, um, an event like an amazing inter like historic venue, like, uh, the Hulu theater attached to Madison square garden. We got to raise over a million dollars for beat the streets. Um, I think we did one of the largest viewerships in slow wrestling history. I got to be on the mat with one of my icons, um, and someone that, I followed for a long period of time and someone that I, I genuinely have a large appreciation for. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, everything that you want from an event, I think this event provided, like I truly felt like a prize fighter and not just like a misfit wrestler in a niche sport like we compete in. Um, so 
yeah, it was significant for me in that way. And hopefully Ben enjoyed it as well. And maybe next year we can invite more former wrestlers that have transitioned to MMA to come back and compete against current wrestlers. I think that if we can follow this model, I think, uh, it, it could continue to be successful. And I think every year it could get better and better. People are willing to put it on the line. Who's going to be willing to come back and compete against some guy who's competing all the time in wrestling and a focus is solely on wrestling. I don't know. Right. But I think a guy like Henry Cejudo versus Nick Suriano, right. Or a guy like, um, Daniel Cormier against Kyle Snyder or me against Kamaru Usman, um, you know, Caden Cox versus John Jones, like all, all these fighting. I don't know if these guys would even be willing to do it, but it does present some pretty darn intriguing matchups, man. You just, uh, I wasn't even thinking about half those matchups and now I want to see all of them. It's kind of interesting. Here's the one minor reservation that I have, Jordan. I wonder what you make of it. If you watch how Ben talked to you in the lead up to this match and how Ben talks to his UFC opponents, it's a world of difference. Sure. He was trash talking a little bit, but like he goes after his UFC opponents. But I guess my only point is he knew how to handle the situation the right way. I would be, I would be upset if wrestling adopted some of the really raw trash talk that happens inside MMA. Does that make sense? I don't think we ever will. I don't think we ever will. It's just not who we are. It's not within our character and in the ideals that we've created for this sport. Um, we've wanted to be guys that, although we are competitors, we want, and, and not that guys in the UFC right, are like morally corrupted, but I think that they just go to a different place. And when you're fighting a guy, sometimes you have to be in that place, right? As wrestlers, we're not trying to hurt or damage physically our opponent. All we're trying to do is score points um, and get our hands raised. So I think that's where we differ from the UFC, but I think that also the way in which we could address each other could be cool from like a competitive spirit. Like I, I, I actually enjoyed the trash talk with Ben because I felt like it was, it was modest but it was fun, right? Like right. you, if you were playing a game of Madden at your crib with some of your buddies, it's the way that we would address each other. It's like, listen, there's no disrespect. There's no hard feelings. I appreciate you. You're a tremendous athlete and competitor, but also I want you to understand that I, I mean, I think I can win. I think I'm capable of winning and I think I am going to win. And, uh, that's important. All that's right. really important that we understand that. But Ben did a good job, man. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he didn't <laughs> try to come at me personally like a guy like Chael did. Um, but I think that Ben did a really good job. I, I know he respects that. All right, so last question. I'll let you go. I really appreciate your time, uh, Jordan. I'm sure you heard Dana White. He went on the Jim Rome show after your big win, and Jim Rome asked Dana White about you. He said he was very interested. I wonder what you make of that. Um, it's exciting, man. I can't. I can't deny it. I can't deny it at all. Uh, there was a period of time early in my career where I was like, wow, I'm going to definitely fight. I definitely want to be a part of this lifestyle. And then there was a period of time where I had so much success in the sport of wrestling. And I was like, I don't really need fighting. I'm good. I'm doing well financially. I've got a solid following. I've got a family. I'm healthy. I'm good. And now I've arrived at a place too, where I'm like, well, I'm seeing all of these guys that I once trained alongside become champions. I'm like, if these guys, and not, this is not a shot at any of those dudes, but I'm like, if these guys can become champions, I know I can become a champion. Right. Um, 
because I possess I possess all the same qualities that these guys possess. Um, so I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's something that I definitely consider. If I do consider fighting, it won't be until after the Olympic Games in 2020, and uh, then from there I'll reevaluate and see if it's something that would be a realistic option for me because I mean at this point the great thing about what I do now is when I leave the arena after a competition I'm healthy I go back to my house or I go to a restaurant with my buddies and have some dinner I don't have to go to the hospital I mean so it's it's just a significantly different lifestyle that we have but no one steps into the octagon expecting to get beat up and take a lot of punishment so I mean, it's something that I have to evaluate with my wife and my coaching staff here. But, I mean, for the right price, I'd be willing to consider it for sure. Well, I tell you what, go get some hardware for yourself and America in 2020, and we'll keep the light on for you here on the MMA side of things. Congrats on everything you got, and Ben as well, from Monday. We really appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for the invitation, and uh, be well. All right, there he goes. We're the best. Best double leg that uh, Justin Gaethje's ever seen. All right, we go to our next guest. We have sh- shuffled some things around, but he's here. He just beat the king of Rio in Rio. I'm not sure where he joins us from now, but he is on the Skype machine. It is the one and only Alexander Volkanov. Look at that handsome devil. How you doing, Alexander? <laughs> oh, mate, I'm really good. How are you? Are you still in Rio? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Rio, so I'm just in the lobby now because I was having a bad connection. Uh, I think you were trying to reach me before, but I went downstairs now, so uh, now 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 it's working well. All right, well, I appreciate you making the change there for us. Uh, I always ask this after fighters have, you know, I wouldn't say that was a super physically tough fight. You didn't take a ton of damage. Nevertheless, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah, just uh, my, my ankles, my, my feet and ankles, uh, probably from me kicking, kicking his legs and elbows and stuff like that. Just a little bit sore. They swell up a little bit, but all good. Rate your performance. I got to tell you, I was blown away. Jose Aldo is hard to make look vulnerable. You know this better than I do. And you had him out there confused. He didn't really know what to do. A lot of the times you won, I won't say an easy decision, but a very clear one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, man, I just, I had him puzzled, like pretty much that, that whole fight. Um, going in, you know, obviously we had a game plan. I stuck to it really well, and and, and that's why why you seen me uh, sort of why you seen him sort of sort of struggling with it. So that was just uh, you know again on my part, I done everything I was meant to. Uh, you know, I, I smashed the game plan. Uh, I thought that he might have uh, took a few more risks uh, where when things weren't going too too good for him, I thought he would have got desperate, and and that's where I would have caught him. Um, but he just, yeah, again, I knew he, I knew, like a lot of people saying, obviously going into that fight, watch the leg kicks, you know, watch his count, you know, he's so explosive and stuff like that. And I knew that, but it's easy to, it's easy to just uh, say you're going to hit someone, you know, if I'm standing there, fair enough. But when I had him so worried about what I was doing, had him, you know, I just had him puzzled and you could see that, you know what I mean? He was always adjusting, always, you know, trying to set himself up and before he knew it, he couldn't pull the trigger. Um, let's talk about the game plan. I'm a big fan of uh, you, obviously, but as well as what the guys at City Boxing and Eugene Behrman cook up. So let's talk about it. What was the objective here? What were you trying to do? Well, we know, obviously, you know, again, he's a counter-striker. He, love, he loves a counter. He's always based very heavily 
Um, you know what I mean? He's, he loves the leg kicks. Look, if you stand still in front of him, he's going to fire them big leg kicks. I'm sure that was his game plan with me to, to fire off the leg kicks. But again, I always had him adjusting. So that's why you see me with a lot of movements, a lot of fakes and a lot of feints. I just always had him guessing, always, you know, I actually was trying to draw him into to pulling the trigger a bit much. I think he noticed that. Uh, so that's why he didn't was, wasn't uh, pulling the trigger at all. But um, at the same time, Again, you can see even with the, the clinch work and stuff like that, mate, if I shot and he, and he you know, stuffed the takedown, I was going to come right back at him. That was just another thing for him to worry about. It was just to have a puzzle in front of him, have him so worried about things that I'm doing. You get what I mean? He's very, very overreactive. He reacts heavily to everything. And that's why you see every time I've done something, he was ready to head slipping, you know, ready, sort of ready to pull the trigger. And you know what I mean? Old shift, he would always adjust, always adjusting, always very – very, very based. He's, he's always had a very good base, you know what I mean? And uh, that's why he's the type of person that defends takedowns very well. But, you know, we sort of capitalised that on that and you sort of seen it. So, again, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, if I adjusted, if I had just done one slight movement, he would always adjust himself. And then sometimes I'll catch him off guard, throw, you know, a 2-1 or, or something like that. Obviously, it goes even deeper than that. But, you know, that's sort of – it was just make him – keep him guessing. Keep him guessing. Keep him worried about what I'm doing. And then have my way. I probably could have done a, a little bit more as well, but at the same time, it's Aldo. He's a dangerous man. I knew he was looking for that that one shot, and I knew I, I knew I was winning. So I just yeah, I just executed the game plan, and it went well. Give me some of the specifics if you can. Just a couple of things, not the whole thing. There was one thing I noticed when I was watching you. You would have like these entries, and there would be just a slight delay on the timing of a strike, and it had him. Sometimes he would miss, he would uh, read it, but sometimes it would land perfectly. Can you talk to me about the change in timing as you struck him? Yeah, well, you know, again, you can't give away too much, but <laughs> it's just all different looks. You know what I mean? It's. It's all different, you know what I mean? It's just, a, again, you know, if I'm just throwing a fake and, and firing straight away, he's going to, you know, eventually catch on to that. So if I throw a fake and then fire, which a lot of people do, you know, obviously, um, you know, he's going to eventually, he's very good at, uh, he's very good at adjusting and countering. And, you know, that's why he lands a lot of these knees and, you know what I mean? He, he knows when to fire. Like if you keep doing something, like if you throw a jab and follow up with something, you do that two or three times, he's going to capitalize on it. So, you know, just changing the timing with things and obviously momentum changes and just, you know what I mean? There's so many different things getting thrown at him and that's what kept him puzzled. So, again, if I kept it simple and only just threw a fake jab here and there and then followed here and there, it wouldn't have been enough. So I just, you know what I mean? So that's that's all I can probably give you on that one. (laughs) All right. All right. I got to ask. I know he said something to you after the fight. Can you tell us what he said? Well, I was just saying to him, you know, obviously it was an honor to, to fight him. You know, much respect. So, so I just said that to him. Like, you know, it was such a great honor. And he was like, oh, no, no, honor to fight you. So just he's, a, you know, he's a, obviously always been a humble, a really respectful guy. And, uh, you know, that's that's all. He was uh, saying it back to me. He was saying it was an honor to be in the cage with me. But, yeah, just being polite. Should you get a fight with Max Holloway in Australia? Well, I should get a fight with Max Holloway, definitely. 100% I, believe I deserve that title fight. Whether, you know, he doesn't want to fight in Australia, I guess, you know, I guess, you know, he's a champ, you know, whatever. But he's game. He's game. He knows uh, the Australian fans still love him as well. And everyone knows that's going to be a cracker of a fight. So, you know what I mean? I don't think it'll be as hostile uh, crowd, crowd or something that you, he would have to worry like it is in Rio. 
So I think that would have uh, that'd be a bit more crazy than it would be in Australia. So I reckon, yeah, I reckon he'd do it, and we just need to make it happen. So it'll be a cracker of fun. I'm sure the world wants to see it. All right, let's talk about Max Holloway. It seems to me after that win, uh, Alexander, there can be no doubt you're the number one contender. You said you feel good. Now, he came off that war against Dustin Poirier, plus he'd have to go back to 145. So I don't know how imminent it would be, but let's put this to, da- like to, to bed. You're the number one contender, and that's just a fact at this point, right? 100%. All right. How soon do you think that fight should be made? Mate, uh, again, like you said, man, I've got a couple of little uh, bruises on my, my feet and ankles, but they'll, they'll you know, heal up real quick. It's, it's up to him. And like I said, I really want to be on that Aussie card. So we imagine, imagine that card. Imagine, you know, you got Easy and a Robert Whittaker, and then you would have me and Max as well. Mate, that would be absolutely huge. You know what I mean? So that's something that I reckon he, he might be interested in. So I reckon we could make that happen. Um, what is the key to beating Max Holloway? I just fight, still fight my fight. Again, like, he, he's, a, he's a gamer, man. He comes forward. He does a lot of the work for me, you know what I mean? So he, that's why I'm a bad matcher for him. I really do believe that, you know what I mean? He's the type of person that does come forward. And, uh, you know, again, like, you know, he's not the hardest hitter. He's got a lot of volume. But, again, mate, if you're there trying to throw volume at me, you're, you're going to receive some. And, you know, they're going to be heavy. They're going to be powerful. And then you've got my wrestling to worry about. Then you've got everything else to worry about. You know, obviously I've got many tools that he needs to worry about. So I believe it's a very dangerous fight for him. But he's game. He'd be keen. Let's make it happen. What lesson did you take from his fight with Dustin Poirier? I, man, I always knew that he could be beat. I always knew, knew I was a bad matchup for him. It was probably better for everyone else to realize that he's not invincible. Obviously, everyone was saying he was, everyone thought he was just unstoppable, which I don't blame him. Like, obviously, he's looked really good. Much respect to him. But at the same time, you know what I mean? I knew he wasn't invincible. That just showed. And, and let's, let's be realistic. I got cardios for days, and I will not gas, and I will be powerful the whole time. So I'm a very, very bad matchup for him, I believe. And let's, let, let's make it happen, and I can show the world. So let me play devil's advocate, and I am playing devil's advocate because I think you're right. It would be a hell of a fight. But let's say if someone wanted to say, okay, but he fought Aldo twice and stopped him both times in the third round, you know, you didn't knock him down. So therefore, Max is better. What would you say to some to that argument? Mate, I guarantee you people will say that, but, I mean, they, they don't know the game. And, and obviously, I, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm a calculated fighter. I'm going to be the type of person that I'm going to – I'm going to do what needs to be done to win. You know what I mean? Like, so at the same time, I'm not going to take stupid risks and give someone like Aldo. Obviously, he's a dangerous guy. He can he can knock anyone out at any given time. Why why take silly risks when I don't need to? I was doing enough. I was working enough. He just didn't pull the trigger. But if he did a little bit more, I reckon I would have capitalized. But he didn't. But you know, he maybe he was waiting for me to to throw more careless shots and stuff like that. But again, I'm a smart fighter. I've got a good fight IQ, and again, I'm very, very well-rounded, and I'm only getting better. So the longer that Max waits, the, the worse it will be for him because I'm getting better and better every day. All right, I know you got to go, so last question for you. Is there any way for you to describe for people who aren't there? I live across the world. I live in, in the United States. I'm not in New Zealand, and I'm not in Australia. How much has training with City Boxing and making that move, what has that done for you? Give me a sense of the, of the change that that means. Well, I fight out of freestyle fighting gym in Australia, so that's where I base out of. But obviously, 
I'm a, I'm a part of a city kickboxing as well. Like you know, our, both our teams get along really well, and uh, obviously they're a part of my team. So I had uh, Brad and Eugene in my corner, and I do a lot of my camp there. So um, it's it's uh, unreal. Obviously, you've got very very high high level training partners, but mate, they're ahead of the game. They really are. You know what I mean? When it comes to striking and stuff like the way they look into it, you know, it goes a lot deeper than what people think. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and we're, we're really capitalising on on that knowledge. And you'll see in success. You know what? I'm going to fly to New Zealand and I'm going to get those secrets out of you one day. Maybe not today, Alexander, but someday. Hey, you know what? Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. A hell of a win. I look forward to your fight with Max Holloway. Thank you so much. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. There he goes. Alexander Volkanovsky, one of the best. Great, great win by him uh, on, let's see, Saturday. I can barely keep track of the days anymore. All right. So do we have Mr. Rufus lined up? Where are we on that? All right, let's go back to the Skype machine. I'm not sure why I'm adjusting all my stuff for because we have one of the best coaches in the game and he is going to lead one of his star pupils into battle in August when that star pupil takes on, that being Anthony, uh, Anthony Pettis, takes on Nate Diaz. Duke Rufus is here. Hi, Duke. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I am delighted to talk to you, Duke. I always am. Boy, you guys in Milwaukee, the heat is about to come for the summer, which I know you guys are excited about. And speaking of the heat, you guys have a fight with Nate Diaz coming around. After the big win over uh, Wonderboy Thompson, this is a great time in the career of Anthony Pettis, isn't it? Yeah, it's an amazing time. Um, I'm very proud of him. He had a tough streak. And uh, he turned it around, and uh, he's a better man the second time around doing this. Uh, I got to tell you, the neat thing about this fight is we've kept it real hush-hush. I think it's been in the works about two and a half, three weeks. And the neat thing about it was Nate, Nate Diaz's people talked to our people to put this thing together. So that's when we knew that it was going to be a real fight, that when they came reaching out to us, um, you know, there's been bad blood between the two guys for years, so it's going to be a barn burner. Now, okay, so let's back up here a step. So this fight kind of got made independent of the typical UFC matchmaker uh, method? Yes. Uh, you know, some of the higher-level uh, managers, been, you know, we've been, you know, communicating back and forth. Even when there was word of, uh, you know, Anthony Pike and Connor, our people were in touch with Audi and Connor's people and, you know, they were on board with it. It's just Connor really wants to fight Khabib, you know. I think a lot of the managers are being proactive, you know, professional. We're all in this together. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to fight. But the first thing we got to do is work together as business people. We're in the prize fighting business, and we got to make fights with prizes. Okay. Tell me why you like this fight for Anthony. Sell, me, sell it to me. Well, first of all, you know, we like Wonder Boy. If he could knock out a guy like Wonder Boy, Anthony doesn't like Nate. Nate doesn't like him. You know, I get along fine with Nate. You know, I, I'm not his bestie, but at the same time, I don't fight the man. I respect the DS brothers and I, I respect their stance. That being said, their stance is easy to fight when I say their mentality. They're not going to like you. People that try and intimidate and get in Anthony's face um, bring him up for the challenge. When Donald Cerrone fought, Donald had a little trash talk before the fight. Michael Chiesa recently. So people like that actually motivate Anthony. To, you know, it's kind of like the scene in, uh, in Scarface. Oh, for a green card, I'll kill him. 
but oh, he's a communist. I'm gonna carve him up real nice. That's the mentality he has when he doesn't like guys, you know. That's a- so that's what I'm looking forward to this one. How different is this fight by virtue of being at 170 versus 150, 155 pounds? Well, I think it's great for both guys. I mean, um, I got, you know, I'm, I'm being a little goofy with my metaphors, et cetera. But, you know, Nate Diaz is a beast. Um, and he's going to be a beast at 170. But I found Anthony's really strong. You know, one thing I know from being a coach in this sport, I see these guys have incredible performances in the gym at their normal weight. And that's what I'm trying to get a lot of my guys to dial into being at the weight that they perform the best at in the gym. <clears throat> so that being said, going to be a great fight. You know, stylistically, Nate is an incredible boxer, tough as nails, resilient, um, got a heart of a champion and an incredible jujitsu. I just think Anthony brings more tools to the, the fight. Ironically, a lot of people don't realize one of my longtime students, his name is Derek Ewan. He uh, was the coach of Josh Thompson, who helped manufacture that uh, win over Nate Diaz. So that that goes back to old school uh, Rufus game plan. So what was the key for Josh Thompson to beat Nate Diaz? The up-down game, you know, getting him worried about the low kicks, going high, going to the body, et cetera. You know, thing is, kicking defense is one of those things you just don't pick up in a training camp. And that's what we just saw this weekend, two fights that were strongly affected by the low kick, Anderson Silva. And then as well, uh, another fight was, uh, you know, Michael Venom Page got off balance with a low kick and then knocked out by Lima. Um, That's why I was so confident coming into the uh, Wonder Boy fight. You know, you don't always see the effects right away of the low kick, but they throw incredible fighters. Timing's off. People who have the ability to, to kick all targets are very hard to beat. And that's something that Anthony has embraced recently, especially when we don't fight wrestlers. It's a lot easier to kick more. It becomes truly a kickboxing fight. We got a glory or a Rochester stadium fight ahead of us. So what is the biggest challenge when you're fighting Nate Diaz? What do you have to really take seriously? Um, you know, uh, he's great, man, he, you know, but we didn't get in this to beat bumps. You know, it's like our last fight, Anthony beat someone who'd never been knocked out before and knocked him out, you know, and he, he one thing is just the mentality. Nate, um, funny story, Joe Silva told me years ago about when Nate fought Clay Guida. He kept saying 209, bitch, the whole time during the fight. <laughs> he comes back to the corner and asks his coach, what's 209? I don't, you know, <laughs> he's just, he's in your face. He's, he's, uh, you know, so I'm going to be a crazy coach. I'm going to be talking a lot of mess in, in, in training to Anthony. Um, that's some of the psychological tricks my brothers and I used to do growing up. We, we, I'm, I'm a method coach. You know, when we're fighting, uh, when he's fighting, one of the guys I'm fighting, I become that guy on the pads. I become that guy in training so that you get used to that mentality. You got trash talking up in your face, you know, howling and scowling the best way they can from the 209. So I'm going to, you know, integrate and and get into that mindset. I'm going to be a homie for a while. That is a hilarious story. That's so funny. Um, all right, so let me uh, let me let me play some devil's advocate positions here, if I can. Certainly, Anthony is not Conor McGregor, but um, I, I guess what I'm asking is, how does Anthony get around the big reach of somebody like 
Nate, because I even talked to Anthony after his win over Wonder Boy, and while it went his way, one thing he said was, man, the reach was a real problem. The distance was a real problem. Now, Nate is not in and out like that, but he obviously has, uh, you know, lanky arms. So how was Anthony going to deal with that? The only other tall guy Anthony's lost to was uh, Tony Ferguson. You look at him versus Chiesa. You look at him versus Donald Cerrone. Anthony fights quite well with tall people. Um, you're right, though. You're exactly right there, Luke. That's why you're on the, the the Glory broadcast team with us. You know your you know your X's and O's. It's the mobility of Wonder Boy that gives so much trouble with his reach. Where Nate, when someone's a little more still, you have more options. Similar to the way Tyron Woodley dropped Darren Till, so another tall guy. So one one of the biggest things I can help my guys with is I was a small heavyweight. So I know how to fight tall, big people very well. That's how I lasted 20 years in the game. The other thing, I actually spar with my guys a lot. So they're used to sparring a big dude like me working around my reach, my advantages. So um, that being said, I think that Wonder Boy's a, a special, special type of fighter that's very hard to beat. Um, Nate has been beat by some good fighters. And, you know, he does what he does, and I don't see him making a lot of serious footwork changes at this stage of his career because it doesn't blend with his mentality. He wants to walk up and, and you know, stock and slap people. You know, I'm looking at his resume, Anthony Pettis' resume. A couple things stand out to me. Obviously, there was a bit of a dark period there from the Dos Anjos loss in 2015 through 2016 let's start there I'm wondering as a coach you know how concerned were you about his ability to get a rebound during that down period well I, I said it on area on your guys' show when Ariel was on it that uh, oh. if he won a one against uh, Charles Oliveira I was gonna quit that's how desperate I was you know because it was hard it wasn't that he was lazy it wasn't that um he wasn't working hard, just didn't have his mojo. The other thing, I think that Anthony, um, he had such a meteoric rise in the sport. I don't think he handled a lot of the things that um, he never really dealt with the death of his father. Because I went through the same situation. Ironically, I found my sister dead and at the same type of age as him. I had a very dark area of my career because I think um, beginning of your career, when you, you you catapult from bad experiences, you got the angst, you got the fire, you, you, you hate the world, you hate your opponent. Well, what happens? You become champion. We meet girls. We get better lives. You're not as angry as you once were. You're forced to get better. You got to win by getting better. And that's what Anthony's done. He's dug so deep, found a new passion, new motivation. It has nothing to do with all the bad things that happened to him. His motivation is all the great things that are next to him and ahead of him. And that's what I'm super happy about um, him because that, you know, sometimes, you know, as tough as we are, we do a good job of guarding the things that we should should address. Because I've stayed up many a late nights thinking about all this stuff for him, relating it to my life. And uh, he just dug deep and reinvented himself 2018 on. And, you know, it takes a special person to do that. Also, here's another thing that stands out about Anthony Pettis' resume. Like, you'll know this better than I do, but he gets criticized for some of the losses. Okay, you know, that happens in the sport. I don't think folks realize this is a guy who fought the best of his generation 
fight in and fight out. I mean, these are just some of the names. Donald Cerrone, Benson Henderson, Gilbert Melendez, RDA, Eddie Alvarez, Edson Barboza, Charles Oliveira, Max Holloway, Jim Miller, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chiesa, Tony Ferguson, and then Wonderboy Thompson. That's the fight list in order. That is a remarkable, remarkable resume for a guy who's had, yes, some ups and some downs, but Jesus Christ, he doesn't dodge any tough fight. Well, you know, when you're trying to do this, it's hard to wake up and do road work and kill yourself to to fight gimmies, you know. Um, you know, you need people to motivate you. I'm motivated as a coach because he's super motivated as a fighter. You know, fighting fights we're supposed to win doesn't make us work hard and do special effort. Um, <clears throat> and that being said, that's his mindset. I love it. Um, even in, you know, a lot of people don't realize the Tony Ferguson fight, that was a short camp. We took that UFC needed a, a fight that in case uh, Connor and Khabib got hurt, some extra 55s. We took that on a short camp. A lot of people don't realize Anthony won't admit it because he never makes excuses, but I'll let the world know. He, three weeks before the Dustin Poirier fight, he was cut on his forehead. That's why he was bleeding so bad in the fight. Huh. Yeah, did Dustin hit him? Because he reopened the cut. It's, you know, he gets criticized as a Taekwondo pretty boy, but he's about that life. You know, he's tougher than tough man, and uh, that's what I love about the kid. You know, he don't judge a book by its cover. So what can he gain with a win over Diaz? We know Diaz has obviously rocketed to stardom uh, with his uh, back and forths with Connor. He is uh, beloved. You mentioned about that life. We know the Diaz's are very much about that life. They have a cult following. So let's say Anthony gets a win in August over Nate Diaz. Where does that put him? What does it do for him? Just more marquee fights. I think that's the stage of the career he's at right now is super fights. You know, I know that's an overused term, but the fights that the fans want. Um, Anthony loves making the fans happy, he lives for the fans. That's why I gave him the Showtime moniker from his first fight. It's not that he was a pretty guy with his style. When it was time to fight, he flipped the switch on. He ran out there and just whooped the guy who loved uh he loves fighting for the fans. It's, uh, you know, there's not a lot of fighters left like that. You know, he, he's a special one that way. And, uh, you know, it, when his mind is right, he's, he's an, he's an, a very tough guy to beat. And right now he's, um, a happy fighter, which Mike Tyson says is a dangerous fighter. Um, if he gets this win at 170 and you're looking at his resume, I, I guess I'm trying to ask like, what can we say about his achievements, right? Two different weight classes, got a title in one of them. Um, how, how, as his coach, would you evaluate his body of work if he builds on the Thompson win here? Um, just incredible. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say he's Muhammad Ali, but it's Muhammad Ali. Like, you know, a lot of people counted Muhammad Ali out when he fought George Foreman. You know, we, we knew no, everyone thought we were crazy to take the wonder boy fight. They all, they, they, we knew that that was a great, that was a great setup fight for the UFC to bring wonder boy back, not Anthony back. I mean, I'm not saying the UFC set us up. We asked for the fight. Um, that being said, um, I just know stylistically when it comes to striking, who are the best matchups. And Nate Diaz is a wonderful matchup stylistically for Anthony, you know, and, and we're at a neat stage of our career where we're, we're starting to see some stylistic matchups that are fun for him. You know, um, Nate is not a big shooter, not a big wrestler. So 
it's going to be on the feet a lot unless Anthony chooses it to be on the mat and he wants to take Nate down. Uh, what are you next on the road, Coach? Um, we just had two guys at Bellator this weekend. We split one and one. And uh, Tyron Woodley's protege won his uh, pro debut. He was a former IMAF bronze and silver medalist. So a really good weekend. I have five fighters on the LFA May 31st um, in uh, Minneapolis. Then uh, we have four fighters on the UFC in Minneapolis, Tyron Woodley, Sergio Pettis, Jared Gordon, and Jordan Griffin. And then I go with the funk master, Ben Askren. We go to Vegas July 6th for uh, International Fight Weekend. Got Brendan Allen on the uh, contenders July 16th. And then uh, we go to Cali for, uh, we're going to be in hostile territory then August 17th. So it's going to be a magical summer. All right, well, we'll have to catch up with you as time goes on because you got a lot on your plate, but I know you're up for the challenge. Always like catching up with you, Duke. Thank you so much for your time, and I can't wait to see Anthony's fight against Nate. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. There he goes. Duke Rufus, a great, great coach and talent in the MMA space. All right, let us do this. Let us go back to our friend in the back with Danny Segura. Let's get back to another round of the sound off if we can. I don't know if you want to play the graphics. We don't have to. We can just go back. Yeah, there we go. Danny, can I make a confession? Go for it. I have a booger in my nose the size of a roofing shingle. And it is killing me right now. I can, I can, I can touch it. It is, it is honestly, <laughs> if I pulled it, it'd be like a Volkswagen Beetle just coming right out of my nostril. Bro. You understand that? Yeah, I do. Oh, my God, dude. I've been there. I've been there. Just hang tight, man. We got I'm never going to get no surgery again, minutes. ever, dude. What a mistake this was. I'd rather just use Afrin the rest of my life. I mean, you already got it over with, right? Are you feeling better, though? I, somewhat. Somewhat. Uh, okay. It's, but it's been a week. It was I got it last Tuesday, so it's been, a, yeah. it's been seven days, and not that much progress, to be candid with you. Not that I much. Mean, give, give it a few months, then... You know, great. Yeah. More, more months of breathing through my mouth and waking up with a headache. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very fitting. You were hitting, you were hating so much on mouth breathers that, you know, you turned into one. It is, so. it is karma in the end. Yeah. It's called karma. Yeah. Uh, you're pumped for that Ferguson versus, uh, sorry, what am I saying? The, um, Pettis versus Diaz fight. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be so pissed if Embedded doesn't catch Duke Rufus <laughs> imitating Nick Diaz, uh, Nate Diaz. That, how great would that be? Oh, dude, that was so funny. Yeah. 209, <laughs> is. yeah what 209. is 209? <laughs> yeah. That's so great. That's oh so great. Uh, all right. That's hilarious. Well, look, let's get back to the calls. I didn't yeah, even yeah. ask you before. What Did people care about Bellator this weekend? What do you think? Uh, yeah, they did. So I think it was more actually centered uh, around Lima and uh, Jack Swagger's uh, Listen to my nose, right? Controversial. Let's do some ASMR. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is what Why I'm living with all me? day. All day. All right. You're the worst. All right. Um, let's see. Do you? By the way, do you want to talk about that slam, or do you feel like you've covered let's it? Let's talk all about it because I want to get some other perspectives. Okay, cool. So let's discuss that. Hey, Luke. This is Joey from uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. Oh, Woodbridge. I just want to know uh, what did you think about that slam from uh, Andrade? Did you think that's a spike? When I first saw it, um, I kind of thought it was a spike. I thought it was going to be a disqualification. I just want to get your take on it. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, so it definitely was a spike. It's just one of the ones that the rules carve out an exception for. I tried to pitch my case yeah. to you. The essence of MMA is allowing for things like this, especially when there isn't this pre clear and present danger about injury. Not that there's not a risk, but it's not like eye gouging, right? It's not the yeah. exact same thing. So what did you make of my argument? Where are you on all of this? 
So I don't, I don't, I feel like some people in MMA, like just uh, right off the bat, they take a strong stance on whatever subject or question is, is being brought up. I'm, I'm right in the middle where I'm like kind of hearing all sides and, and then still developing, uh, you know, an idea about it, a standpoint. Um, what, what I would say is I think I'm more towards allowing slams. Uh, however, you know, they are pretty, they can be pretty dangerous, you know? Um, but I mean, so is a lot of things in MMA. You know what I'm saying? Right. So the whole point of MMA is to encourage it. Exactly. The whole point of MMA is to destroy a person. Exactly. Right. And, and yeah, it sounds it sounds brutal, but I mean, it the, is a brutal sport. This is the so, business we have yeah, chosen. Exactly. This is the hurt business. So, look, I, I think some should be slammed. I mean, uh, some should be banned. If you look at, for example, remember when like Bob Sapp slammed uh, Minotaro, where it was just like straight on the neck. Like he just picked them up like from the double position. Yeah. But like he that, also had a 100-pound weight advantage. That is true. Right. Yeah. Big, big difference. Yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable uh, watching that because, you know, it can lead to a pretty serious injury. Yeah. Like, you know, like I'm not saying CTE is like no big deal or anything like that, but like you can paralyze somebody, you know, that's like, that, that's really, really bad, you know? So, you know, I don't, I don't really know where I stand on it. I feel like some slams should be illegal, but, you know, I, I want to look into it a little more. But o- overall, I think slamming should be should be part of MMA. Yes, there should be rules about yeah. slamming, but we should understand the more rules you create, the more creativity and v- valuable techniques you eliminate, which is why I tried to show in the Carl That's Parisian true. footage. And then also, I think Chel Sonnen's key insight about you take the things that are illegal and you make them legal so that people don't have a space to hide in their composite sports, that is... That is that is what we are about here. And I just feel like, yeah. yes, you want to take danger seriously. So make a carve out. You can't do it but for this submission. Fine. I'm good. With, I'm, I can live with that. I can live yeah. with that completely. I think it's yeah, a great sure. compromise. All right. Now let's uh, discuss a, a different point of view uh, about that uh, fight. Hey, good morning, guys. This is Charles Jalen calling out of Atlanta, Georgia. My question is about Rose. Uh, do you think it's a good thing? that Rose did not win on Saturday night for the UFC and the fighting fans. Not personally, because Rose is a very, very likable champion, very honorable mm-hmm. and for what she stands for. Yep. But with her feeling that fighting is no longer her passion and she doesn't know if she's going to keep doing this, um, do you think it's a good thing, not personally, but a good thing for the UFC and fighting fans who love, you know, consistent defending champions? It's a good thing that she did not win. Thanks for taking my call. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, Mr. Yalen. That guy, he's an OG. He's been calling since day one. He is a great man. Yeah. Shouts out to that guy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, where do you stand on that? Was it ultimately maybe a good thing that, you know, Rosemary Yunus lost her belt? Because afterwards, she didn't really, I don't know. She didn't really, wasn't too too keen on on continuing her MMA career. She's It's kind of up in the air. Yeah, so when I pre-recorded my interview with her, one of the things that we ran into was that, um, you know, I was told that she wasn't feeling great, and I was like, "Oh, is she sick?" Yeah, uh, and they're like, "No, she's just, um, you know, she's just dealing with a lot." Now, what that means, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing: you have to have a certain constitution to be a fighter, and you have to have yet another constitution to be a champion. It's one thing to to be the person who is seeking out challenges, and it's one person. It's another thing to be the person who is the challenge. And I think that pressure she didn't like, I don't think she's ever really liked it, but I think she especially didn't like it. And so I'm not going to say it's necessarily good because there's all kinds of different realities you could imagine for somebody that 
um, we could we could entertain. I guess the only yeah. thing I would say is if you're not right for that kind of a role, which is a leadership role to a degree, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be in it. And so maybe if the fate the fates played out like they were supposed to in some kind of capacity. Yeah, and I think ultimately it is something good for the UFC because. It, if, if you're going to invest, you know, media and PR and, and you're going to invest a lot in someone, you you want them to stick around, right? Yeah. Um, they don't want to, like, you know, build up a champion and then have that champion just be like, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. So I guess in a way, if, if you look at it that way, it is kind of good for the UFC. But I never – you and I are the same, but we never look at a fight and be like, oh, it'd be awesome if this person lost. Yeah. We kind of be like, if they lose, they lose. If they win, they win. It's just, well, we'll just make an adjustment from there. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but something I do want to point out, and you know, I feel like I kind of get this sense from Rose is like, look, she's 26. She started fighting at a very, very early oh, yeah. age. The things that you're into in your early 20s, and then you know, when you start getting closer to 30, they're comp- you know, you change as a person, right? You become an adult. Oh, yeah. um, so maybe you know, her priorities change as well. You know, uh, I don't really think it's also like, oh, she's going through something. Like something must be wrong. No, dude. She's going, sometimes you, you know what you, she's going through, Danny? Life. Exactly. Life. That's Dude. it. I mean, you. I don't know if you can remember, but if you go back, like from your teens, your late teens and your early twenties, oh back when you know when you were twenty six, you know you're a completely different person. Bro, I thought uh, Third Eye Blind was a good band when I was a sophomore. <laughs> you know, I mean, what a stupid person I am, right? So there you go. So yeah, we'll see what happens with Rose. Um, you know, hopefully, whatever she decides to do next, she's happy in, and and that's all we can wish her. I just want to smoke some of the marijuana that she grows in her garden. Yeah, I, I saw a picture like a while ago. It's still a very small plant. I don't think there's any right. uh, any nuggets. I don't know if maybe anything has changed. All right, let's switch topics into something, um, man, a little bit more sad that happened this weekend. So, oh, let me guess, BJ Pan. Yeah, how'd you know? Saddest <laughs> shit on earth. Yeah, man. It was hey, Luke and Danny. Uh, my name's Austin. I'm from uh, Fort Meade, Maryland, around your neck Fort of the Meade. woods. A uh, question for you is. BJ Penn has lost seven in a row, hasn't won a fight since 2010 in nine years. Is this the chance for the commission to finally step in and tell fighters no? I know there was the Chuck Waddell, Tito Ortiz fight, but a guy like BJ Penn fighting under the UFC, this is very high profile. I feel like this is a time to where the commission can step in and do the right thing. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, first of all, before we answer that question, what did you think of BJ Penn's performance? It was a tricky one, uh, to be honest. I didn't think it was that tricky. Really? Yeah. I mean, he was fighting why? a Clay Guida who's also on his, who's towards the end of his career. Uh, not a bad fighter, but not. Yeah. Not, this is not a prime fighter by any stretch of the imagination, right? So, um, yeah, I thought it was. I mean, look, you're, what you're asking me, that he looked better than he had in his previously utterly mm-hmm. lifeless performances? Yes, he looked better than he had in his previously lifeless performances. Here's the thing I don't like doing, Danny. Um, yeah. You know, what's one reason, for example, why I do the Monday Morning Analyst? Because I'm not picking on fighters who lost. I want to celebrate fighters who won. Yes. Right? That's the whole idea about it. Wow, look how great this was. I don't take joy in saying this. This is nothing I get pleasure out of. I'm not going to sleep later on being like, yeah, I really stuck it to BJ. Somebody in his inner circle and in his life needs to tell him to stop. This is, this is, this is unethical. If you are in his inner circle and you are not telling him to stop, you are party to an unethical act. This is bad. This is very, 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 very bad. Yeah. And it's going to get worse. 
before it gets better. And this whole bit about you can never tell another person to retire is just it's, it's it, you are you are not making you are morally abdicating your responsibility when you say something like that. And folks will be like, well, you, you, you want to be careful about it. Of course you do. But let's look at the facts, Danny. The longest losing streak in UFC history is now occupied by a man who, when I was a fan of the sport before I got into this full time. one of the greatest fights, fighters ever. Dude. Okay. Had the best jab, had the best takedown defense, had some of the best jujitsu, and was you could not hurt him. You could not yeah. rock him or even physically mark him. We are so far past that at this point, it's hard to stay even where we are anymore. Um you have a responsibility if you are media to speak out. No more doing interviews with this guy and being like, well, do you feel like you could win your next one? It has to stop. Somebody has got to say, stand up and say enough is enough. And I think the commission might at this point. I guess I guess we'll have to say. But the point yeah. is, do you really, Danny, have to wait until you're at the longest losing streak of UFC history before you say something, Gil, we, this, this was viewable a long time ago. Yeah. We have just let it drag out. Forget all the troubles that are happening in his private life. I don't even know what the truth is with that. It's all allegations. We'll see what happens, but everything that happens in that octagon. Now, if you are part of that, you are morally complicit in this act yeah. and you have to own it now. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I still feel like if, if he wanted to fight, I wouldn't be, look, I, I don't want it but I wouldn't be 100% opposed to it. But something that this question brought up and I think is important was remember when Chuck Liddell got uh, commissioned to to fight, you know, Tito Ortiz, the commission, the California State Athletic Commission said, you know, the reason why we, we are, we're allowing him to fight is because of the type of opponent he's facing, right? BJ Penn is in no way, in, in no shape to face UFC caliber opponents. And I think Clay Guida is still a UFC caliber guy. So with that being said, uh, the commission does have the power to be like, look, you, you shouldn't be fighting these guys. If you want to, if you want to continue fighting, all right, fight. Like remember, uh, what? Not so long, so long ago, I think it was last year. Henso Gracie at fifty one fought somebody, you know, some donk in in, in one. Yeah, uh, dude, I'm okay with that. If you want to do that, and let's say go to Bellator and just get super easy matchups, just you know, get a few more fights in, fine, do it. But. BJ's not no longer UFC caliber. He hasn't been UFC caliber in a long time, and and you know he's just going to get hurt if he continues to to be in. He's there. been getting hurt for years. Yeah. This is not new. And I think something that makes me uncomfortable as well is like, you know, there are certain fighters that are in pretty bad losing streaks, but they are in grip with the reality, right? They're like, yo, yeah, I know I'm in a pretty bad losing streak. I know this, this looks bad, but look, I, I you know I want to give it one more try. I want to see how this goes. You know, we didn't we didn't see. I think you know, Guillermo Cruz talked to him, and and he was like, uh, you know, he wasn't like, look, I I think you know I'm feeling great, but that Ryan Hall fight was so quick, I didn't get to display everything. I kind of just want to give it one more shot, dude. He was talking about becoming a champion again. Uh, right. I mean, it's just that's when you go, man. Like your reality is is not. It's kind of skewed, you know. It's like, yeah, you want to be a champion after the longest losing streak in UFC history? Yeah. I mean, is it possible? I suppose it's possible I could, uh, you know, deadlift a thousand pounds after the show today, but seems relatively unlikely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, just the last thing on this. MMA media don't want to say things like this a lot of times. Some of them do. Mm -hmm. They don't want to say it for fear of like pissing off people, which I understand. It's yeah. really easy to criticize MMA media when you're not the person who has to talk to people's managers and agents and friends That's and coaches true. and traders. It's very, very easy to say that. But on the other hand, dude, at some point, you you got to do the right thing and yeah. the responsible thing. And if it's, if it's, I don't know what his inner circle is telling him. Maybe they're telling him to stop and then he just keeps on going. Somebody in that space, if the media or the media, whoever, whoever has a public platform, 
you have to stop being party to this. You have got to stop being party to this. You've got to say something. It is not okay that this continues. Yeah. It, it just isn't. Yeah. I wonder when the UFC is going to step in because we know Good how Lord. Dana White felt about Chuck Liddell and a few other fighters. And I don't I don't feel like they're giving the same treatment to BJ. I don't know if they see something that we don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. Yeah, it's a weird one. All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, Jack Swagger, your favorite WWE wrestler. <laughs> that was right? so weird. Yeah. I'm rock hard. Hey, guys. Calvin and Sword Island. I was just wondering what you guys thought about the Jack Swagger fight and how he held on to the choke after the referee told him to let go. Do you think he should be fined? Do you think he should be suspended? Do you think his win should be overturned to a no contest? What are your thoughts? I know in the past the UFC has even gotten rid of fighters or suspended them, I believe. What do you think? Bye. So what happened was he's talking about Babalusa Brawl, who did that to, I think yeah. it was David Heath. I think he did it twice, right? He might have done it twice. But the big one was he had really busted up uh, David Heath. David Heath was a bloody mess. And yeah. I think he hit him in an anaconda and then rolled through and then submitted him. And uh, he didn't let go. And he, he held on until the guy uh, went unconscious. Yeah. And so it was a bad look. So he either got fined by the organization or let go. I don't remember what happened, but that was a big one. I remember because I had a, a media fight with somebody else about it, which is yeah, another story. Yeah, I, I remember, I forgot what I saw, but something that covered it pretty extensively. And I think he had done it twice in the UFC. The first time he did it, um, he got into some heat. And I think the UFC was like, look, this is not cool, blah, 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 et cetera. And they let it slide. And then he did it the second time. And it was because uh, his opponent was talking, what was his name again? Uh, David Heath. David, I said, believe that was David Heath, yeah. Yeah, he was talking mad smack. And, you know, uh, <laughs> Babalu took that personal. Yeah, he he's like, yo, I'm going to make you pay, right, bro. He did. Yeah, and uh, he just held him to a choke and, and choked him out unconscious. Uh, my whole thought of this was, is it the end of the world? It's not. Yeah. My thought is the commission should probably say something to him. Yes. I don't think he should be fined, and I definitely don't think he should be suspended, in part because you have to look at what happened, right? One of my arguments about the slam is if every time it happened, someone was getting destroyed, we would have to have a very careful conversation about it. Yeah. And while there are health risks associated with it and dangers, no doubt about it, I think we have to have a sober assessment of the health outcomes here. Same thing with this choke. What was the health outcome? I mean, it was uh, it was not great, but it wasn't the end yeah. of the world. Yeah. So he should just be probably lectured and that's the end of it. My only thought was, it's like, dude, that's the guy you want to flex on? You know, the, the what they call him on Twitter? Beef plant? Beef plant? No, um, I saw Post Malone references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He kind of does look like Post Malone, man. He just needs like the, the little that, He needs some face tattoos like stitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, you should actually get that. Always tired, I think he has. Underneath his eyes. Uh, what you gonna do, Shawty? All right. Um, okay, God. I, now you put that in my head, and all I can think about is him is is him fighting uh, Post Malone. <laughs> Good Lord, that is hilarious. Yeah, it's not yeah. that big a deal. It's honestly, I mean, it's not yeah. great. It's not that big a deal. I do think the commission should say something. Yeah, of course. Or, Absolutely. Yeah, they have to let other fighters know, like, look, this is not cool. You can't no, do No, you this. cannot do it. Once the referee puts his hands on you, it's time to let go. It, it's done. And this yeah. whole bit about, yeah. like, I wanted to make sure, okay, I mean— Stop it. I don't, this is not a valid excuse. You, yeah. you know. You know. Uh, especially because the referee has the rubber gloves, I believe. Mm -hmm. So in any case, um, it was, we, the only thing was afterwards, you know, where he talked about, well, I can't even say because, you know, people yeah, work yeah, in this. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a work Just environment. Just go look up uh, the post-fight interview if you're listening to this. It's like, it was that was one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Yeah. He looked like, you know, he did the right things. He had good wrestling, I guess, but... You know, he's out there fighting uh, 
you know, guys you Post see Malone. on Post Malone on Rough and Rowdy on Barstool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that's 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 what you do with, uh, I guess, prospects or guys who are just... No, it's a know. fine way to match them up. It's just yeah. a weird way to act. Yeah, Burn through sure. them and then be on your way, you know? Yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about something uh, cool or something sad? Cool. All right. Let's talk about Douglas Lima then. He had a pretty nice finish. Yeah, he did. Luke, it is Joshy Fresh from San Diego, and I Joshy want to Fresh. talk about Douglas Lima versus MVP. Can we just talk about the timing of that kick and that uppercut that knocked Michael Venom back to last week? Man, I wish he would fight in the UFC. Thanks. Yeah, dude. The presence of mind Bruh. that Douglas Lima has, and then the accuracy in, yeah. a, in a chaotic, you know, weird moment like that, he's so good. Super good. Yeah, and he's never going to be Mr. Popular. He's never going to be the homecoming king. Mm-hmm. He even was like, yeah, the money's nice, but I really want to be champion. I believe yeah, him. Yeah, I believe yeah. him, you know? Yeah, he's one of those old school guys that, like, they fight because they really love it, and you can tell that guy. That guy's really passionate about fighting. So yeah, the money's nice. I'm sure he wants to have that, but he really, he really cares about being one of the best welterweights in the world. And boy, that finish definitely proved that. Uh, it was. It was I, I tweeted this is uh, like something from Tekken. Like, dude, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, yeah, he's great finish. I, I tweet about it all the time. I was like, Douglas Lima is probably better than your favorite fighter. There's a decent chance whoever yeah. that is, he might be better. You think we ever see him in the UFC, or he's just a Bellator? Guy? I think he's probably a Bellator guy. He, mm. He's been. He, he looks to me like a guy who I'm going to say the word simple. I don't mean in his brain. Yeah. But I mean, I think he he's been loyal to Bellator. They've been loyal to him. He's had a great career with them. He's a valuable asset to Bellator. He's never going to be the guy who you know is going to uh, make a gazillion headlines. But he's such a valuable asset in terms of. Uh, you know, saying you've got one of the best welterweights in the world. And man, if he wins 100%. that tournament. 100%. And as a product, he improves the Bellator product. Like, we, we see some fights that you're like, bro, this fight sucks. But, like, when you know Douglas Lima's fighting, like, you tune in. You know what I'm saying? That guy puts on great fights. So he, he definitely improves the, the Bellator product. All right, next. Yeah. All right. Sad or happy? Uh, happy. All right. Hey, guys. It's Rick from Toronto. Um... I'm just you wondering not? if you guys think Cowboy taking this Tony fight with such a quick turnaround is a uh, cause for concern. And also, if you think this was the right fight to make. I think a lot of people expected Connor versus Cowboy and maybe Tony versus Gaethje. So I think it was surprising for some people. Anyway, thanks, guys. Take care. I love this fight so much more. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I think for if you're let's look at the, the breakdown here. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great for Connor to give some of the shine to Cowboy, of course. Here's the deal, though. If you're a Cowboy, you get what you get. You beat Tony Ferguson, that's the best one of your career, full stop, number one. 100%. Uh, and it would probably put him in a title position afterwards as well. Certainly pretty close. 100%. Right? If, I mean, you have to. Dude. Yeah, and if you're Tony, it's about as good a reintroduction to that. We would say, like, where, who's Tony going to fight? This is a great reintroduction because Cowboy's coming off that Aya Quinta win, which is maybe the best win of his lightweight campaign, certainly. And so if you get that, you're now re- thrust to the top of that division. By the way, action on the ground, yes. Action on the floor, yes. Action in between, yes. Like, there's very little to dislike here. And people are like, who should Connor fight? There's a very simple answer. Justin Gaethje. He should fight Justin Gaethje. The <sighs> MMA's most popular fighter versus MMA's most violent. Tell me what's wrong with that. So tell me why that's not the Bruh. fight to make. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't, Forget about what he I would take. I don't like it because I, I feel Forget like about look, what he would take. What do you mean? Stop, don't protect Connor. 
Okay, see, I, I'm in the business of guys. I'm in the business of protecting Connor yeah. after the Habib uh, fight. All MMA Man, media you, does that because he's good hey, for your dude, bottom line. You you want to see Connor sticking around? You know the UFC. Yeah, you do not put him against Justin Gage. That's man. his problem to bear, not mine. I suppose, but I don't know. I, I'm look. I wouldn't hate it. I would watch it. I think as a fight alone is is a fantastic Dude, this, matchup. This like but I think Connor needs a tune up, man. Connor needs to win. This and I don't think Justin Gage fight is a fight for him to win. This paternalistic win, instinct everybody has for Connor that they don't give to anybody yeah. else. I'm a little bit over it. I'm a little bit over yeah. it. I know what you mean. It'd be good. For, it'd yeah. be better for business long term. Don't care. Yeah, Don't care. I think I think part of me. There's a part of me that's that, that likes the boxing way, uh, the way they do things. So I think you know a Nate Diaz fight would have been amazing. An Anthony Pettis fight would have been amazing. Look, a Gagey fight would, is good as well. But down the line, like let, let him get some pop, you know, behind him. Uh, but I mean, if if that's the way they go, I wouldn't hate it. But uh, back the problem to the is question, the UFC, you can't okay. get true yeah. tune-ups. A true tune-up is when you get like a, a jobber that they give you. you. No, there's no true tune-ups. That's right, 100%. But there there are some better matchups than others. Yes. Connor is uh, Connor versus Cowboy, probably more favorable to Connor than yes. Gaethje. I 100%. can agree to that. I think that was a fight to make. To be honest, I— Oh, you're a hater. Yes, I am a hater, a hater, dude. I'm a hater. I'm a hater, 100%. I'm I'm with you with all the reasons you mentioned of why you like uh, Ferguson versus Cerrone. If you're a true MMA fan, there's nothing to hate about it. But— what I do hate is that at the end of the day, one of these guys is going to have to lose. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like, dude, I, I tweeted out uh, Tony Ferguson. People might not know this, but like Tony Ferguson, if he beats Cerrone, he's going to be on a 12-fight win streak that spans six years. And still, he hasn't fought for the real 155-pound belt. I think that's insane. I think this man has done enough uh, to deserve a title shot. And as I said, you know, last show, if he's good on money, because this is how he makes money, I would love for him just to wait it out. Look, Poirier or Habib might not show up in September. He can just easily slide in there and, and end up fighting for the real belt. And if none of them, you know, end up getting hurt and they actually do fight, just get the winner, you know, early next year. Like, you've done enough, man. Don't put it on the line. Because you know if you lose this to uh, Cerrone, he's going to be out of that conversation. He's going to be two or three wins away, man. And that's not fair. That's not fair. And Cerrone's dangerous, man. Cerrone's game. So I I, I don't want to so see you Tony Ferguson. Protect Carter, but you, I want to protect Tony Ferguson because he's done enough, man. Nah, he's done enough. Nah. He's done it all. He's not going to. Dude, he cleared the entire division. He should have got a title shot a long time ago. He's not yes. in that space. This is about as good as he's going to get given the circumstances. I suppose, yeah. Let him fight it out, bro. Let him fight man, it if out. Man, if he loses, what a. If he loses and then never gets a title shot, be, that'd be, be one of the yeah. saddest things in MMA. I dude. agree, but MMA is sad. So. Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very MMA true. It's a very, very sad, sad sport. Actually, I left UFC 237 kind of depressed. I was like, Jesus. Oh, not me. Really? No. A lot of sad things. All right. I think that's the next, se- uh, a perfect segue. Last one, because I got to go. I got to yeah. get this uh, sheetrock out of my nostril. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's talk about Anderson Silva. Oh, God. Hey, Luke, Danny, Nino from Washington Township, New Jersey. I had a question for you. What do you think Anderson Silva should do after this fight? Do you think Anderson Silva should retire? And if so, who would you like to see him fight for a retirement fight? What do you think makes sense for his way out the door? Thank you. Who's next, bro? Well, first of all, let's see how bad the damage is, number one. All right? But, like, if it's a torn ACL, I mean, Bruh. what are we doing? And you see his, you see his, uh, his uh, Instagram post? No. So Jeremy Cruz uh, translated it, but basically, yeah. like you, you know, if you fall down, get up, don't quit. It's like, dude, your body is literally quitting on you. Yo, you know? him and BJ, <laughs> two of the most positive. Like your body is quitting world. on you. Yeah, um, 
you know, it's like these guys who've done so many. You know, I'll, I'll walk something back I used to believe, Danny. And yeah. I'm not saying this is the case with Anderson. I know the question was about Anderson, but we uh-huh. talked about it with BJ. I used to believe it was like these guys who hang on too long. People are like, oh, they're going to damage your legacy. And I used to think that, that was not true. And my argument was, well, not, not, not that it was totally untrue, but mm-hmm. overstated. How about that? And my argument was, okay, how are you going to unwind what BJ did to weight class champion before that anybody did it, you know, blowing through Matt Hughes and then yeah. when he was with the Marinovich brothers and all that stuff, you know, beating uh, the Gracies and the way that he did, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't undo that. Those things still happened. Yeah. But then when you begin to, like, did you know what BJ Penn's record is? It's 16, 14, and 2. He's nearly a 500 fighter. Yeah, man. It turns out if you do it long enough, you actually can. I don't think Silva is there yet. I don't think he's. I don't think he's nearly in the same position as BJ is. Yeah. But if he keeps trying, he's going to find himself there before we even know it. For sure. And there's talks of him signing an extension deal with the UFC. I, know. I, know. I saw. I couldn't believe Look, it. This is a weird one because going into the Adesanya fight, I mean, you, you knew my thoughts. I was like, look, I think Silva's still a top 15 middleweight, right? By the way, and he looked okay in this fight. He looked okay. Yeah, he he did. Um, but like, I don't know, something about him just being on the ground, wincing in pain, grabbing his leg, and then just remembering, you know, what happened with him when he fought Chris Weidman just makes me feel uneasy, man. I'm down to watch him fight maybe a few more times, a couple more times. But like, you know, there, there's definitely something to that legends division. Yeah. You know, if he's going to fight, fight some other old dude. You know what I'm saying? Don't be fighting Jared Cannonier who look, who's like built, you know, and just looks like a, like a killer, you know? Dude, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Jared Cannonier the guy who like with crazy eyes marched out Ion Kutelaba? Oh, yeah. People slept on, on, the, on the killer gorilla. Dude, he's an insane person. Dude. He's an insane person. And I say that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Jared Cannonier is a wild man. And, you know, dude, and I can I say shouts to Jared Cannonier? I get so sick of these American fighters. I love Brazil, but people are like, oh, they're great sports fans. No, they're nationalists. Let's call that what they are. They're nationalists. And that's fine, but that's what they are. So if you're a Brazilian, they've got your back to the end of the earth. You could be anything else, and they're going to wish cancer upon you and your family. They're going to wish who you they to are. die. They're going to literally say, we hope yeah. you die, right? You're going to die. So for him to get out there and then to drink in the booze, I was at there fist pumping and donkey kicking in my home studio, and then to tell the audience that he didn't respect them, yes, thank you, Jared Cannonier. I get so tired of these American fighters going down there. I love you, Brazil. Meanwhile, they're throwing bags of urine and coins at him, telling him to get out of the cage. No, forget it. I'm not saying you have to go the Colby Covington route. We have yeah. to call them filthy animals. But stop stop jetiflecting before them. Yeah, they don't yeah. want your praise. I, I guess when fighters do that, they want to be cool. So they usually, you know, learn a couple of words and yeah. say, you Obrigado, know, Obrigado or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, look, yeah, I kind of like what, the, what Jerry Cannonier said. Like straight up, he was like, yo, if you don't respect me, I don't respect you. So, you know, F you. Uh, kind of like the Ally Quinta yes. uh, route. Which was, in, which was in Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, for yeah. Al, too. Yeah, they were booing him Al. for no reason. Yeah, 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 he had sure. every right to say that. Bro, he fought his ass off. Like, there's no re- You know what I'm saying? Like, remember, that that was the judge's call. You know what I'm saying? Pop, that was on Anderson Silva's leg. Pop, pop, the dude went in there and fought. Pop quiz. Who did Ally Quinta beat in Fairfax to get booed? Uh, wasn't it uh, Masvidal? It was Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, Jorge Masvidal. Who he beat, and he gets booed. How is that his fault? And by the exactly. way, Jorge's a really good fighter. So, yep. yeah, yes. Thank yeah, you. I think if you're a fan and you're booing, 
I, I understand the frustration, but don't take it out on the fighters, man. They go in there and to perform, and that's what they do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Unless there's something dirty, all right, fine. Like, you know, there's something there. But if the guy just goes in there or girl goes in there just to fight and does, does their job, like, you know, leave him alone. And, and did Cannoneer talk trash to Spider? Before no, the fight? not at all. No, Super nothing. respectful. The fight just happened the way it happened. Yeah. And you're going to boo the guy? Yo, I told you on the MMA beat. I think wherever this goes, it's it's it, if, if Cannoneer loses... Like, where, however the fight went, I don't think it was going to be like, oh, wow, look at Jerry Cannonier. He beat Anderson Silva. I thought it was going to be the other way around. Like, oh, my God, look at Anderson Silva. At, at this point, if, if he, Anderson Silva gets matched up with those type of fighters, that's that's the type of narrative that's going to continue leaving every fight, if he loses, of course. All right, my friend. I need to go and pull this uh, <laughs> Lexus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that you didn't uh, do that on camera. I came, that probably would have been the end of the show. So. You understand I came this close? I came this really? close, yeah. Jesus. I am a, I am a gross person. All right, uh, great job today. It was all nice man. to see you. Thank you so much. want to thank all of our guests, Alexander Volkanovsky, Jordan Burroughs, Duke Rufus, all of you guys. Keep sending the tweets using the hashtag the MMA Hour. Keep calling us, 844-866-2468. Until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>